Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political brick, Kobe Amnaka, and today I'm joined for the new year with our co-hosts, my co-hosts, and political mansions in Diane and Tatton. How are you guys doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm a mansion now, am I? Yeah. <laughs> Were you not really worried where the brick thing was going? I was like, A mansion. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe it was going to be a Lego brick. Tatton and Diane, the mansions. Maybe, maybe Diane, if you and I did like a um, like a tag team wrestling thing, we could be Tan and Diane the Mansions. Yeah, <laughs> the Mansions. I mean, it's that aspirational name, isn't it? Like, it's all about that bling. Being in a wrestling tag team is definitely aspirational. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Just this is why you tune into the SP podcast, right? It is. It is this kind of bands. It is absolutely. How are you guys doing? This is the new year. I haven't seen you since Christmas. Did you get all the presents you want, Tatten? burning question for me did you watch the john lewis advert sadly it passed me by uh in 2022 i'm sure you can still watch it on youtube i'm sure i could yes i agree <laughs> how are you doing diane yeah i'm really good thanks Cobes. i got covid for christmas so that was nice but all healthy and well again now yay, yay! Oh, all all stuff doing the rounds, wasn't there, over Christmas? There was a fair amount of yeah. lurgy going around. Yeah, to be expected. Yeah. I know a few people laid out for like three weeks with, I'm sure, a variety, a cacophony, an, an encyclopedia of uh, infections that, that laid them out. But hopefully, yeah, it's looking bright and sunnier and we're looking forward to a bright and sunny 2023. Okay, well, let's, that leads on to the main part of the podcast and going through the Simple Politics Instagram feed by the most popular posts. Tatten, can you lead us off, please, by telling us what the third most popular post was? I mean, in a three is just an incredibly bleak story. I try and be light. We try and be light on this on this show, but um, there's not much positive to say here. There's an article in the British Medical Journal uh, where a doctor wrote that she was seeing families for whom toothbrushes and toothpaste are a luxury. And we'd, we'd, there are so many stories around about the cost of living crisis today. We're recording on Thursday, as we always do. It's about people being cut off on prepaid energy meters. We've seen, you know, so people are sitting in the dark and the cold because they've got no energy. I'm just awful. And earlier th- th- this week, it was toothbrushes and toothpaste and children having massive issues with their teeth. I mean, it's coupled with, there's been a lot of talk in Parliament and around the place this week about dentistry and not being on sign up with a dentist. So if you haven't got toothbrush and you haven't got toothpaste and you can't make it to the dentist, the game's rigged. Like you can play as hard as you want and there's nothing, there's just nothing. And it, and it breaks my heart. I feel that there's like a silver lining to this in a way, because if it is a case of literally not people, people not having access to toothbrush and toothpaste, that I feel that's something we can get together as a collective, get Marcus Rashford, hopefully some governmental support and say, 
right, you need toothbrush and toothpaste. These things are not expensive. These things are basic. We should be able to get a job load of them and hand them over to people who need them and and do that well. And that doesn't that won't cost much. And if it's something that that basic, then can we? I'll put you know. Let's start a GoFundMe to get people who don't have toothbrush and toothpaste to do that. If it's such a simple, it's I don't know, a basic problem that we can solve. I want to help be part of the solution there if I can be. I don't know what your thoughts. I think an issue, an issue is identifying families for whom this is the problem. I mean, you're hearing lots of stories about firefighters using food banks, about nurses using food banks, and. I think people might not be aware that maybe a nurse, someone who's actually got, I don't know, 25 grand a year or whatever it is, 30 grand a year for firefighters maybe, they shouldn't be in that situation, but sometimes they are and identifying them is hard. I know that schools do things like this sometimes. I know that, um, I mean, schools I've taught at have helped people out in this kind of way because as you say it's not that expensive and you can identify it like if kids are coming in with bad teeth or you know awful breath or whatever whatever other symptoms not brushing teeth might be a school can afford to hand them that kind of thing but identifying the people is hard um and i, I feel it might be an educational side of things as well where it's one of the things that's kind of easily neglected as like no you'll be fine without brushing teeth for a bit but I understand that you know, you know, kind of dental health is one of the major. You know, if you don't have dental health, then it really does affect, can affect your, the health of the rest of your body. So I guess informing people how important that is, and if they can prioritise one thing, then look at getting toothbrush and toothpaste. What what kind of comments were we getting, Diane, from the from this post from uh, from last week? Yeah, I think people find it really shocking. You know, like as Hatton said, we've talked about cost of living for so so long, but sometimes you just get. A, you know something a quote or a stat or a little bit of insight from people dealing with stuff at the front line that makes you actually go oh wow okay you know that's pretty grim and um like you said lots of people Kobe who feel like you who feel like I'm gonna add that into my shopping basket this week and I'm gonna you know donate it because I want to do something sort of so there was definitely that kind of reaction as well which is great which is all all part of it definitely but there is something definitely fundamentally broken there in the kind of dentistry sector that needs that needs fixing diane what's in at number two in at number two so this is one tatten found some stats over the holiday period and it's about the couch to 5k app which is really popular everyone's talking about you know healthiness, new year, new you, what you're going to do, you're going to do anything differently. And a lot of people do this, get back into running. Maybe they have run in the past or they just want to get into it for a complete start. And the Couch to 5K app is dead popular. And actually the stats that were shared on the post were 8,600 keen beans, as we've said, were out for a run on Christmas day or Boxing Day. So um and it, it's quite ironic because I have avoided running since the holidays <laughs> because I, I'm not ready yet to, <laughs> to, to get back out there, but I will. I love stats. I love these sort of posts because they just go down so, so well. 
it's really funny that on the day or so that this was put out, the government also put out another one, which is obviously the converse, the like the opposite end of the spectrum. And that was that 3,000 people did their tax return on Christmas Day. So you've got <laughs> some very different groups of people there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe you go for a run and do your tax return. You could do a both. Christmas I thinking, Day. What I was thinking there might Christmas be a Venn diagram crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do you fit in the snowman? And <laughs> I mean, I'd do literally anything, literally anything to escape that kind of meal. Like, oh, I've got to go for a run. Oh, hi guys, I'm back. Do you remember? What I, I just remembered my accounts. I got to go. <laughs> Bye. But yeah, I love it. I love stats like that. I like this. I mean, this is this is this is all the New Year's kind of gung ho ness that happens, which is uh, commendable. Tatten and I were talking about uh, dry January, Veganuary before we started recording, and the counts to five k is one of these things about New Year better self. Guys, if if you feel inspired to do something, please do. It's you know it can only help. I guess. What's in the first place, Tatten, for this week? <laughs> in first place is just. Sometimes at SP, we just cover the most extraordinary nonsense. I mean, I like to think that SP is SP is here to help people access politics, to help people on their journey, to empower people, to really make a difference. Oh, but this post wasn't that. Uh, this post was, um, so Grant Shapps, our business secretary, tweeted a photo of him like with our space aeroplane which is now our oh, failed I space aeroplane because it. <laughs> it didn't work but he tweeted it out he tweeted it out and he was like here's a picture of me with the aeroplane and with two signed people scientists who are clever and there's me laughing because i'm really clever as well and we're all talking about rocket science and i'm finding a joke in that because it's really great and there's just the three of them and there's this odd weird kind of hazy patch in the middle of this picture (laughs) and then it turns out the picture's from july right and that hazy patch is where the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson was stood, and he's been removed from the picture in, like, using my level of Photoshop standards, (laughs) right? And uh, so he's just not there, and the picture looks weird, and it's dishonest, and we might get back to dishonesty later in a much more serious way, but it's dishonest, and it's odd, and then Grant Shapps deleted it and said, oh, I didn't know he wasn't there. It's like, did you not look at the picture, Mr. Shapps? Like, do you not remember the time? Were you drunk? It just it just a really, really odd post. And I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know. Like his team, if he didn't know, someone knew he, they'd remove Boris Johnson because someone did it very badly on presumably their phone. And mm. what what on earth is going on? And I feel dirty just putting the post up, but... There it is. Yeah, no, I I think it's fair because it's a it is I, a reminder. Like not everything you see, especially on Twitter, for example, is uh, bona fide, and you need to look into some stuff, you know. And yes, his elbow is still in there. That's how bad the Photoshop is. <laughs> uh, there's one word for this, and it's embarrassing. I just don't understand a lot of what's happened <laughs> in this. I quite often think about what happens when things like this blow up on people like Grand Shops. Do they go home and like just? 
sit on a on a on a chair and put their head head in their hands and like groan for like the next twenty four hours? Do do people ring them? Do the, the best mates no, from the university no, no, no. school ring them and like say, "Dude, what the hell are you playing out? What 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 kind of happens to these guys in this situation?" He was in the Commons a couple of hours later. Like he is good in the Commons. Like whatever you think about Grant Shapps, he is confident and he is he he is full of chat. And a lot of people standing up and having a go at him for various different things. He sees the way he's he is really good. He definitely was not at home with his head in his hands. He said he didn't know it was happening. He took it down. And for him, that was just over. He just moved on immediately. And it's also you say these things happen. They do seem to happen around around Grant Shapps in particular quite frequently. He was found not too long ago to have edited his own Wikipedia to make himself sound better. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, like, listen, I'm not commenting on his policies. I'm not commenting on uh, on anything else about him. But he is, he's shifty, <laughs> like, without a shadow of a doubt. Okay, guys, let's head over to the second part of this episode, the mailbag, over to the listeners and readers of the Simple Politics feed. Uh, what have they asked this week, Diane? Okay, we're going to concentrate on our most pertinent, biggest question this week. Okay, we are, in case you didn't know, obviously on Instagram, huge on Instagram. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. And this question has come from Facebook. Holly Haywood, big fan. Um, she <laughs> <laughs> she sent us a question this week. And it is the the burning question. This has been around a lot this week, but she's put it really well. She's put, simply, is private healthcare taking the burden off the NHS or is it queue jumping? So, whoo, what a exciting question to get into, to be honest. And it's been, you know, it's even been in the Commons this week. I think, I think the immediate answer is yes. Yes, it's taking the burden off and yes, it's queue jumping. I think we, we need to accept that the NHS is on its knees and if people can go elsewhere then that's all right. Like, like that's that's going to take the burden off. It's also completely ludicrously unfair that people who don't have the money to go private have to wait longer. I mean, that's that's just like if you ask, like w- w- when I speak to, to 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 children and young people, the sense of this idea of fairness is at the heart of what they think about, and it's not fair. So it's a, yes, it does take the burden off without a shadow of a doubt. And yes, there's queue jumping. I was talking to Diane this week about it. And with some services, there is no private option for. There is no private A&E. You can't just pitch up at a private hospital and say, I've broken my arm. Can Here's, I don't know, 20 quid. Can you fix it? Right? That That's not a thing. And A&E is where one of our biggest problems are. We're talking about 500 excess deaths. I can't remember if it's a week or a month, but people are dying because A&E is so backed up because people are waiting so long in ambulances and there's no private A&E to take any of that away. In mental health, the services the NHS provides as a drop-in, as a we're here when you need us, you're on with secondary services. So when you're feeling awful, get in touch, that kind of service isn't available in the private sector because the private sector wants wants you to have a fixed thing rather than dropping in and out when, you're, when, you, when, when you need it. And again, and it, like mental health services are massively oversubscribed. I don't think 
that it's just because there's no private services in that area, but there is nowhere to take the burden off. We've got to do something because, like, I think 7% of um, things that could have been covered on the NHS were covered privately last year. 7%. Now, throw an extra 7% on the NHS, and it's it's in real trouble. In Scotland, this week, 95% of hospital beds were used. 95%. The same week last year, it was 87 I think. So, we're Scotland will would have no beds left if that 7% were there. It's not fair. It's not right. But maybe it's the only option. I don't know. I feel really conflicted about this whole thing because I don't like the fact that we need to have private healthcare. I don't. Because I think that having it, it's obviously better, okay? It's obviously, you know, less waiting time, potentially private room, you know, it's all those things. And people always have always, it's human nature, isn't it? If you can pay a bit more to get something better, you will do. You know, if you can pay a bit extra and get on the plane first, people do it. If you can pay to get a VIP ticket somewhere, people do it. You know, it's just, it's that thing. If it's there, people do it. But I worry about then that private sector attracting all the NHS's good staff because it's a, you know, much less stressful place to be and to work. That's the sort of thing that that worries me about it. But having said that, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because years ago I had a job where I did have healthcare in my contract and I certainly didn't ask for them to score that bit out or, or anything else. I was, you know, I was very pleased to have it for the time that I did have it. Obviously health is paramount isn't it health and that urge to want to protect yourself and your family and so I don't blame people for for doing it or for using private services of course if you know if I could I would you know some of the most paid for procedures are things like cataracts etc if you're on a huge waiting list and you literally can't see and you can afford to go and get it done quicker you know you would but but still there's part of me that says is it taken away from the NHS, even the fact that it's there? I don't know. I just want to come back on, on on two things you just said, Diane. I think one of them is, I'm really sorry that SP doesn't pay for private healthcare. The other is, I don't think they take the best staff away. I don't know about the NHS particularly, but I know schools, having, you know, as a teacher for 10 years, certainly the best teachers are not in the private sector. There are some very good teachers in the private sector. I'm not knocking teachers in the private sector, but the teaching I saw in other people, certainly not in my class, but there was some really, really good teaching going on. And the best teachers do it because they care. And I think that's true of nurses and doctors. And I think that, I mean, I would never have worked in the private sector because I feel like I was, you know, I may be a reasonable teacher and my skills were better, more needed and better suited to the state sector. That's That was important to me. The private sector might pay more, and it might be less stressful, and there might be better hours in terms of conditions and all of that. But I don't think many of the what we call the best nurses and doctors would choose to take that route just because, just for those paying conditions. We've talked about health and particularly of the strike action with the nurses, junior doctors going to vote, ambulance care. This is something that's going to come up time and time again on this podcast, on the Simple Politics feed. So I would like to move on, but I it's it's a difficult one it's a really difficult one and i love seeing the comments that the listeners and the readers have to say about these kind of things it's all it's always like super intelligent guys please do 
carry on commenting on these, it opens my eyes and I'm sure it opens a lot of other people's eyes. And it is like, like Diane said, I've had private healthcare through work and, you know, my knee was, my knee was dodgy and it was going to take a couple of years going down the NHS system was going to take a couple of weeks by a private. And I thought, you know what, let's go down the private route. And I don't think, I think a lot of people would go down the same route if they're given the same option and it's, it's human nature to do so. But at the same time, I was, my dad was an NHS doctor and he'd loved and took so much pride in working in the NHS and supporting his community pediatrician. So that's the kind of thing that's not available in private healthcare, but he's, he could have gone down the, down a private route in some other kind of, um, field but he chose to go down that route and you know got so much pride for him for doing that it's it's tough so that's that echoes what Tatton said about you know the best doctor I don't, I'm assuming dad was the best doctor because you know he's my dad yeah. Fair <laughs> he's a dad yeah. he must have been pretty good right I'm I'm agreeing he's a uh, top top five I would have thought yeah it's tough guys please do hope you listen to this and if you see this on the Instagram feed do comment about this part three is the prime is to watch what has Rishi been up to? Avoiding questions about GPs and private healthcare, I'm sure. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Tatum, what have you got on Rishi Sunak with your private detective skills? My private detective skills? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's run with that. Sure, Cobes. I'd be the worst private detective. Like, I'm really bad at hiding. I'd be like, hi, I'm watching you. And they'd be like, what? I'm like, I've been paid by your wife. <laughs> It'd be great. I've got a question for you, Kobe. Sure. What is seven minus five? <laughs> it's the number two. Tatum. It is the number two. You've passed. Congratulations. <laughs> Rishi Sunak would be a fan of you because he wants maths. He wants maths everywhere. Everyone has to learn maths until they're 18 years old in some form or they don't all have to do the A-level, which clearly, Kobe, you would pass. We've done, we've checked that already. They can. Isn't that simple? Oh. oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a maths A-level, so it must be pretty easy. <laughs> because, I mean, numeracy is a big problem. Numeracy helps us be more productive as a country, and it helps us individually. It helps us in the supermarket. It helps us work out mortgage deals. It helps us work out all kinds of things. A numerate society is a, is a better society. We want people to have that. The big questions about this policy are, is this the right way? <laughs> that wasn't a joke. I don't know why we're laughing. This is a very serious topic, Kobe. We have no time for joy or laughter or happiness. We're talking about algebra, and that counts. Pun intended. That counts. Yes. Let's say, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Highly intelligent, quick and witty. That's how they describe me. The, the question was, like, primary maths. Primary maths is really important because that's when you've got them, you've got them young. I was doing a radio phone-in thing, and um, someone was saying that teachers who teach maths, primary teachers, frequently, you hear in the staff room, oh, God, I've got maths next. And it feels like like literacy and English and that kind of thing, they can feels easier to be creative and engage the young people with. And when it comes down to maths, it's harder because not like th th there's less of a story to be told. There's less to less to, 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 to buy people in with. And I mean, that's good teachers do amazing things with maths. But primary maths is highlighted as a big issue. And that a lot of people were saying is a 
place to do it, the place to put funding, the place to focus on. Whereas getting someone who's doing an apprenticeship, because you have to be in education or training till you're 18, you don't have to be in school or college, or you have to be affiliated to a college if you're doing apprenticeship. The quality of maths provision to a 17-year-old who is training to be a car mechanic might not be as good and it's really hard to engage somebody who doesn't see it as relevant to them i mean the battle in the classroom is to engage the young people in front of you and make them be interested make them want to learn and then then you're off to the races teaching people who don't want to be there and aren't interested is a hard thing to do it's a big topic why is it a big topic i don't i don't understand this though because we've talked about nhs for weeks we've got we've talked about the problems that are affecting strike action and people in the real terms for richard to come around and say let's do two more years of math at school it's like dude do we is that something we actually need and i mean simon Pegg had his run which i thought was very insightful simon Pegg is a very very successful actor he acts alongside tom cruise in mission impossible film so he's got money in the bank so fine he didn't do he didn't do mass up to 12 and he's he's done well out of it i think he should consider himself very lucky but i think there is a stage where i think 16 seems like a decent point to say okay i don't want to do mass anymore because it really it really pecks my head i gave up doing languages at 16 because I didn't want to carry on doing them because it really made it really made my brain boil. I don't feel people should be forced to carry on doing a subject after the point at which it would just really irritate them to it really will affect the rest of the subject they want to be a part of. Kobe, let me put forward the government case here. They say that the education is the closest thing we get to a silver bullet to sort our problems out. It is. Investing in young people, driving up standards and people need to reach their potential. So if you get your maths GCSE, great, go on, do maths A-level. People need to be given that opportunity to succeed, that opportunity to thrive. And we need to get this right and we need to sort it out. And I don't know why you're against aspiration, Kobe. I don't know why you're against opportunity. I don't know why you're against... I don't know why you don't care about people. And you don't care about success. Um, I, I just think, think that's odd. Diane. Go on, Diane. You go. You go. This is going to be a long one. Guys, settle in. <laughs> yes, for me, this is all a problem about presentation of this, okay? So I wasn't, I was not, I didn't believe I was good at maths. I was probably all right, but I didn't believe I was. So I dropped it at 16. I did all the languages. <laughs> so, but I think there's two things in this. I think... If he'd have come out and said, look, we're going to give people the skills to be able to get better mortgage deals, understand finance, you know, not have to, you know, all all this stuff, which will help you in life, you know, better budgeting, all the stuff that people say they want and would really benefit from. It, it just was packaged, I think, just a little bit dully. And he talked about data. And I know some people have gone like, not everybody wants a job in data and whatever. And it's just about that presentation and saying, look, this is what maths can do for you. Open it up a bit more. Make it sound a bit more exciting <laughs> and not forced. Like you say, Kobe, it's the fact that it, it, it's a forced thing didn't sound great. If you say, this is available, it's going to be amazing and we're going to do all the life skills with math and it's gonna be great the, the way he packaged it i think i'm doing the, i'm doing the bill clinton pointing here I with know. my thumb uh <laughs> so the way he packaged it is 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 the problem because i did i dropped maths at a level 
but then went on to do a master's in engineering university, which meant I, when I went to university, I had to do a year at university, basically advanced maths. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. People at 16 don't need to know the Py what Pythagoras did with triangles. A lot of that doesn't apply to people's real lives. When you go to A-level maths and advanced maths, a lot of the stuff you learn there, differentiation, integration, blah, 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 you just don't need for real life. And that's why I, that's why I was kind of against the, like, if you want to tap out 16 maths, go on it. If you want to stay on it after, afterwards and learn how to do these advanced mathematical things, fine, do that. But the life skills thing, I think is mega important. And I think that should be wrapped up as part of like general studies almost. And if there's, if you're not doing general studies, make that wrapped up as part of your ongoing apprenticeship because understanding mortgages, understanding debts, understanding how credit works, that is super important. And for people, if we were taught that at a basic level at school, which does involve maths, but you don't need A-level advanced maths to be able to do that. It's just like, by the way, this is how to understand what interest rate does and inflation does and how to plan your real life. Now go out, get a bank account and understand what saving a pound a day for the next 20 years will do versus saving two pounds a day for, you know, that kind of thing I think is super, super important. And if you can understand that, that's amazing, but you don't need to know how to integrate to the nth degree. And that's what is kind of presented in the, Hey, do maths for two more years. We need, we need to move on from maths. Um, but just, just quickly, the financial education is included in the citizenship curriculum. So, so young people should be taught and will be taught some kind of financial education through citizenship as they as they go through but i think the, the the bigger point here is that these extra classes aren't about teaching differentiation it's about helping people who don't get the gcse or don't get to the standard that they might do at gcse so that they can do better can continue to learn and continue to develop their math skills afterwards and if you do get the gcse then you can probably do more then why 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 stop there the more you get the more you play with numbers the easier the stuff that's not as advanced gets so if you're a professional tennis player not quite sure i'm going with this but if you're a professional tennis player like and you learn to like hit the ball really well hitting the ball quite well is easy so you, by pushing the boundaries, it makes the less advanced stuff easier. <laughs> there we go. Proof. Let's move on. Okay, following that um, unanticipatedly long debate on whether we should do maths post-16, let's go to the crystal ball and see if we'll be talking about this next week, guys. Um, final section, what will be the big stories coming up next week. Diane, why have you got on the crystal ball? So coming up next week, we have Wednesday and Thursday, we have two more days of strike action by nurses. Strike action is hanging about for all of January and certainly into February. We keep, Charlotte keeps updating our strike calendar. It will keep rolling on um, until resolution is found. But, you know, we are talking about February dates already. So this is going to be something that continues. A simple, a, a very, very important thing that you guys do is that strike calendar. So if you're listening to this, please do go to the Simple Politics uh, feeds for that information, because I think it lays out really clearly, helps everyone understand what's going on. And guys, you, you two and Charlotte, you know, massive kudos and pat to the back for, for that, because I think it's a really important thing you guys are doing. In the same way you, you relay in simple information related to the pandemic, etc. I think this kind of stuff that you guys do is like magical. Tatton, what have we got in your crystal ball? Well, it's about further strikes. I just want to add to what, what Diane was saying. There were three rail union bosses in uh, the Commons 
yesterday and uh, an MP asked one of the uh, said on a scale of one to 10, how are negotiations going? And the first one said, I want to add zero to that to that scale. Uh, and the second one said, I agree. And the third one, who was Mick Lynch, said, I refuse to have to put a scale on it. It was it was a, a, an amusing moment, but it just shows how how much trouble we're in. Like they were all like, we're going nowhere. But that's also that's also negotiating in public, right? If you're saying we're going nowhere, you're telling the other side they need to come a lot further. So there's a pinch of salt involved, but I think it was it was. <laughs> Yeah, the three of them just like, nope, nothing. We've got nothing. I mean, and then, so we've got nurses next. We've got more trade threats coming up. Uh, the big news, I think it's going to come out on Friday, but it might come out on Monday or Tuesday, is that teachers are going to go on strike. They've been balloting, and it seems almost impossible, implausible, that they're not going to come out on strike. We've teachers in Scotland already striking all next week. Teachers in different parts of Scotland are walking out. We've got the NEU, who are the biggest teaching union, but also the union of head teachers. Head teachers are going to strike, and the NASUWT are almost certainly going to strike. They tend to be a little bit less strikey, the NASUWT, but I mean, they're going to go out this 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 month, so we'll we'll be looking at February dates for that. Everything right now. This is a crystal ball. Coming up is a debate on literally everything the government does. We've got debates on immigration and asylum. We've got debates on schools and school pay. We've got debates on the NHS, firefighters. We've got debates on the cost of living. Every single thing that this country does is up in the air right now. And I find that hard my, I, like I, I need certain things, you know, when I'm not going to get deep into my mental health now, but I'm really struggling with political debate right now because there is no certainty. Let's talk about Boris Johnson coming back as prime minister, like as con- leader of the Conservative Party, if Rishi Sunak doesn't sort stuff out because there's a lot of people that want him. They think he's still a vote winner. They want him in, in charge and in power before the next election because I think people will vote for him. So... Our leader hasn't got solid grounds. We don't really know a lot of policies from the Labour Party. The SNP are jostling for position. Will there be another referendum? Probably not. How's a general election going to work? Nothing is solid. Nothing is certain. The crystal ball is telling me nothing. It's just sitting there being a bit crystally and bally. And uh, I find I'm, I'm finding it really hard. I think what you need to do, Tatton, is go to the Simple Politics Instagram feed once these things are crystallised, and you'll be able to see the <laughs> you'll be able to see the information once it's uh, once it's relayed um, better than the BBC news uh, alerts because often they're just nonsense. But uh, everything that's on the Simple Politics feed is uh, delightful and insightful. So thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure to see all killer, no filler. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Hope you have had a good start to 2023 we'll see you next week thank you very much